Under the sea, under the sea, ignorance as fuck. There'll be no confrontations, just friendly conversations under the sea. This is supposed to be a fucking, 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 I'm getting the team tune between Flipper and Skippy mixed up in my head, right? Flipper, Flipper, Flipper to push kangaroo. So that's no, what I'm thinking. But I know Skippy, Skippy. No, it's Skippy. Skippy. Oh, no, no. What is it? They call him Skippy. Flipper. They call him, no, no, shut up. They call him they, Flipper. Stop it. <laughs> Flipper. <laughs> they, they call him Skippy. They call him oh, Skippy. Skippy. <laughs> Skippy the bush kangaroo. Oh, shit. I've lost it. <laughs> Yes. Skippy, Skippy. They're so close. Flipper, flipper, flipper. Fuck yeah. That's so annoying. (laughs) The best bit. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. You are stupid, you have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't call me stupid. (laughs) I understood every syllable of that. And I'm joined once again by a writer of three films, a Christmas special, and a Star Wars. Will Collins, how are you, Will? Oh, you're looking very sexy in that speedo. Oh, well, listen, I'm so glad you you like it. I'm wearing specifically over my head just so you can see it. Will, we're talking about underwater scenes. I love the sea and I love being underwater particularly, which sounds like a strange thing to say, but I genuinely find it one of the most transcendent experiences that that I've had in life. And uh, I love this topic. This one, of course, was recommended to us by a listener. Jules wrote in. Thank you, Jules. Will, give me a brief overview. What do you think of this topic? Where's your head at? How did you find researching and prepping for this episode? Well, first of all, I'm I'm one of these people who, I'm the opposite of you. I find myself um, being a little bit anxious of the water and I'm not that comfortable in the water. It elicited a lot of anxiety in me. What did? Watching these scenes, watching scenes of people underwater for too long, because I get that sense of you need to be up top breathing right now, even if they're using rebreathers or, or whatever. I'm I'm going, that's going to fall out of your mouth any second. Something's going to pop off and you are going to suffocate and drown and have your lungs filled with seawater and you will be dead. Dead, 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 dead. So get the hell out of there and get back to land where you should be. We evolved from that place. So I'm constantly feeling a little bit of anxiety. So they make me feel really, really tense and anxious. That's what these, these scenes do. Do you ever hold your breath while you're watching the scenes? I... I, I did that, but Karen had to wake me up several times because I passed it. <laughs> so you did it recently. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, I would have like done it as a night. kid. I can hold my breath quite long. I can hold my breath for at least, at least two and a half minutes, which 
without oh, practicing without practicing is quite a long time of course i have to be completely still when i do it but i i yeah. wouldn't be able to like dive under water and swim around holding my breath but i can and we used to do it in school you know you'd have to do holding your breath exercises and uh you know really? when they yeah we we did didn't you do that up in Oh, you were in Cork as well. What are you talking about? Um, did you even have a swimming pool at your school? Oh, la da A swimming pool at my school. Ooh. We had a puddle. I'm sure you did. We had, we had a place. Full of piss. We had a yard. <laughs> yeah, and that's what it was. We didn't have a swimming no, pool. No, but you didn't do that at school. You didn't sort of learn survival techniques. Treading water, diving yeah, underwater they... to pick up a brick or whatever. No. You didn't do any of that. What are you talking about? They just sent the survival techniques. Go out there and here's a stick and go, go out and milk there, a cow. Here's a fucking go to that field and herd the cow. That's your a troll. Don't Get turn your work. back on the cow. That was that was the survival. No, Kevin. No, you live. You lived in the first world. I obviously lived in some other. I grew up on some other planet. Cork. You did survival techniques. Yes, we did. Yeah, you swam to the bottom of the pool. To when I was stuff. about nine, I think we were eight or nine. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. It oh, wouldn't well. be like the I'll Marines, though. No, you wouldn't be diving in like with your full fucking clothes on you and sort of like seeing how you can keep yourself buoyant in a pair of jeans. But no, we would do like, uh, um, yeah, how if you were in the water, how you would keep yourself buoyant or, and I remember beating everybody out yeah. by being able to hold my breath a lot longer than everyone else. And that sort of gave me confidence to take to swimming and then of course when I was backpacking and sort of ticking boxes and on my bucket list I went scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef yeah and yeah I fucking loved it I immediately felt like I was in an alien world and it was so peaceful and um yeah I don't find underwater scenes scary at all except for a couple that I'm gonna mention but yeah I love being underwater can I ask you a, a, a specific scuba diving question, right? This is totally off topic, but this is something that come, pops into my head every time I see a scene where they have those, they're called rebreathers, aren't they? The, 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 the breathing yeah. things they put into their mouth. Okay. So did you scuba dive with one of those things that you yes. jam it into your mouth? You don't jam okay. it into your so mouth. This it is just, what I have it to fits ask. in your mouth. You sort of, it, it, it's ergonomically fitted to sort of be in your mouth. So it's not like you're... You're struggling to hold so it. So it's like a gum shield, is it? Is it like a gum shield? You put it in it's between your lips and your teeth. Yes, you're, you're, I'd have to look at my pictures now again to be 100% sure. But you could, you do all the, the, um, the practice runs of taking it out of your mouth and, you know, having to put it back in while you're underwater in case it falls out or, you know, getting the question water out you, of right? your goggles and stuff. I'm sorry. This is such a specific thing. This is off topic. So you know, in 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 these movies, they always if they have one of those things, the the, the mask, the, that rebreather always pops out, and they're like going, ooh, 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 and someone comes along and gives them their rebreather and stuffs it into their mouth. How do you? I assume if your mouth is full of water, how do you start breathing? Like you know, how do you get the water that's in your mouth out so that you can actually start breathing? The the water the air that's coming through the rebreather is there? Do you just start breathing? Like you know, I assume you you know if if it one pops out of your mouth, mm-hmm. water's going to get into your mouth even no. when you do the act of putting it in. But even when you do the yes, act of putting no the rebreather, more water than if you're brushing your teeth, and all you do is just push it. Really? Out. You, yes, you just spit it out. Well, if it's if there's so much water in your mouth, then that that's 
you're droning. You're droning at that stage. So you don't inhale yeah. water once you take it out because every instinct in your body is not to inhale water. So it's something that you can't do voluntarily. Okay. Uh, imagine, I know I'm burning time. You can cut all this if you want. As soon as your rebreather comes out of your mouth, you're holding your breath. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a natural okay. response. But as soon as you know, you're holding your breath, right? Remember close. I'm holding my breath, right? I've got the rebreather. I need to put it back into my mouth. Mm-hmm. To put it back into a mouth, I have to, I'm underwater. I have to open my mouth, mm-hmm. right? As soon as I open my mouth, I'm underwater. Water's gushing in. And, yeah, and even you blow if it's just out? for a fraction of a second. You blow out? So you, you, you have to go, you go. So you actually physically blow out while you have the rebreather in your mouth and the water goes out through yeah, the rebreather. Yes, because you're you have to breathe out underwater. You're not just constantly inhaling. You're you're also breathing out. So the water comes so out of your mouth. It, you're never going to have so much water in your mouth that that you're in danger of inhaling it and choking. That's what I was afraid. That's what I always worry about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did it and it was fine. But I think I think everybody thinks that the first time they do it. But no, we've had this technology for since the fifties. So everyone has sort of like, yeah, refined it and gotten better at it. But you know, you can also condition your body to hold your breath a long, long time. And some actors, I'm segueing us back onto that. Some actors, please, yes, come on. have actually pulled off some incredible feats. I think Kate Winslet on Avatar Two was saying recently that she can hold her breath for six minutes. So it is doable, right. but again, you have to, you have to stop your body expending energy because that's when you're going to need air quicker. Okay. I'm going to ask you, so, right. Cause you, you put the question to me and I'm going to throw it back to you. How did you, how do you feel with the, when you watch these scenes, these underwater scenes, does it, you what sort of what sort of emotions is it elicit in you? I know it's all different from film to film and scene to scene. Arousal. Do you watch it and kind of <laughs> do you but do you watch it and kind of go, oh, you lucky bastards? Whereas I'm watching, I'm like going, you're going to die. You know what I mean? I'm watching it and I have these kind of like panicky kind of thoughts, even though it looks really graceful and nice and all that sort of stuff. I'm going, no, no, no. Even if you know nice scenes, I I get panicky thoughts. Do you feel differently? I don't feel I don't feel one way or the other. Uh, I will say that there are two things that will instantly trigger that sort of primal response to, ooh, I don't like that. And it's treading water, being on the surface of the water and not knowing what's underneath you. That always gives me the willies. I mean, that that that's such a, an ingrained um, limbic system response that even if you're in a swimming pool, you can trick yourself into giving yourself the shivers by just imagining there's something in the pool under you. A shark, for instance. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't like it. I got to get out. So that is easy to um, to respond to. But if I'm under the water, it's, I just, I'm brought back to how incredibly alien and peaceful. And it's like dreaming. You are completely weightless. You're gliding. It's so quiet. And these fish are swimming around you and they are playful and and swimming up to you and away from you and looking at you. And it's so, um, I, I think it'd be different if I was like in the water with like great white sharks. But as I told you before, I have swam with sharks. I swam with white tip and black tip reef sharks. And um, I just thought they were beautiful. I think I this, is a, chasing them. this is a good time to, 
This is a good time to revisit because you've told me this a long time ago in our Jaws commentary, right? And I, I think for our listeners who probably haven't listened to us and maybe, maybe for me who do, doesn't remember it, you were talking, this was in Australia. Yes. Great Barrier Reef. Tell me about, so you, you're, you're in the water. Did you, could you see these sharks? Could you I'll see- set the scene for you in order to keep us on topic. Yeah. We went away out to a specific spot that everybody is permitted to go to on the Great Barrier Reef. So much of that is protected, but there are certain specific spots yeah. where particular dive boats and uh, day trippers can go to. We went out there. They gave us bread um, to, to take in our hands in these little pouches because that will draw the fish to you. And the water is aquamarine. It's gorgeous. We all just went swimming and they had these fucking huge fish, like fish that were as big as a mini car. And I thought, I'm more scared of those things than I am of these little cat-like sharks. And you couldn't get me out of the water. Yeah, I would just be chasing these little sharks. I'd be diving under and be like, come here to me. And they'd be swimming away and coming back around. And um, beautiful, sharks are beautiful looking animals. Like they've got pretty privilege. You just want to look at them. They're so beautiful. And, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, they got I dead eyes. And you didn't believe me that I was swimming sharks, but I was swimming sharks. They're only about two, two to three feet long. Not even that. Maybe two feet long. There, there's oh. little things. The closest I've been to a shark, I think, was I remember being in some aquarium. I might have been over in Coney Island or something <laughs> like, like that. Like standing and, and looking in. Oh yeah, Sandra, that's it's as close. And they had these big fucking sharks swimming around, swimming around with huge turtles. And the sharks would come around, and these monsters, and they would swim by. And I would not call them beautiful. These fucking, te- it's like for me, they're the sharks that are in Finding Nemo. You know, Bruce and uh, the teeth and the eyes, and they look, they looked horrific. Well, it depends on the shark, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, it does. Some of them funny. It does. Some of them are pretty. Some of them are hot. Some you of them. Meet, you might meet an ugly shark. Reef sharks are beautiful looking. Um, yeah, but then you have those those fuckers with like the underbites and their, their teeth are sticking out, or six gill sharks. Yeah, they look. That's the guy I saw. You didn't see a six gill yeah. shark. They're they're they live about three hundred years. Three hundred. Yeah, three hundred years, and they're away off in Alaska somewhere or Greenland. Oh no, he, he was in Coney Island. <laughs> I met him in Coney Island. Do you know that fish tanks are like submarines for fish? <sighs> think about that. Oh, really? Yeah, think about oh, that. Well, they're out in the real world and they're looking around going, oh my God. Yeah, they're in a little enclosed environment that's keeping them alive and they're in uh, an, an environment that they can't survive in. So yeah. And not by choice. Of course not. Oh man. Okay. This is fascinating. This is this actually genuinely is very interesting. So this is a great table setter for this topic. It is. So we'll be back next week with <laughs> no. <laughs> so look, I don't particularly know how to structure this episode, but I will tell you a couple of things. Um right. to sort of give us a little bit of a, a history lesson. And one is that the first underwater scenes didn't really pop up until the 40s. And there was a film that I haven't seen, but I was doing my research and I got to watch the sequence itself. And it's from a film called Mr. Peabody and the Mermaid from 1948. It's a mermaid film. And there's a sequence where she dives into this elaborate looking 
underwater cave structure with all these plants and fish floating around. But they did that by shooting it through a plate glass window so the camera wasn't in the water, it was outside looking mm. in. It was a way that they were able to put underwater stuff on screen until you got to the 50s and scuba gear and then 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I didn't think I'd ever see you again. What is it? Burial ceremony under the sea. That film was shot in 1954 and they shot it in the Bahamas. They used 20 tons of equipment, six ships and loads of captive fish. The studio had to invent new, this was Disney, they had to invent new methods of filming. So they used an Aquaflex underwater camera, which was state-of-the-art at the time, because they were shooting in CinemaScope. And they were using scuba equipment, which, as I said, was just new technology at the time. And, you know, you can imagine, like, for audiences of the time, that was like seeing an alien planet. Because when else are you going to see that? Yeah. You're always going to see it with, like, a scuba mask when you're on the surface looking down. But to be deep underwater and exploring the undersea world never considered when did they actually start filming underwater I truly did not know any of this neither did I until 10 minutes ago alright <laughs> right. you know that land is here with a boat yes yeah. that tall one must be the leader they'd they be coming back any moment <laughs> and now so are our listeners <laughs> yeah there you go this is brilliant see we have Google and as like, well. so then we had and I'm just wondering um uh, and maybe you haven't researched this, but I, I was thinking then of the nature documentaries that obviously spawned all of those nature docs, the Disney nature docs, or that French Jack Cousteau and all this sort of stuff. And he have like, you know, made all these nature movies yeah. underwater. Using that as a nice segue, nature docs. There's one on my list that I can mention right now, and that is My Octopus Teacher. It was nominated for Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature a couple of years back. I think it's on Netflix, but it's a story of a guy who's living in South Africa and he's dealing with depression. I remember the day when it all started, seeing this really strange thing. A lot of people say an octopus is like an alien. strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realise that you're very similar in a lot of ways. There's something to learn here. I had to have a radical change in my life. And the only way I knew to do it was to be in this ocean with her. And then I had this crazy idea. What happens if I just went every day? While out scuba diving and out sort of swimming around near where he lives, he discovers a little octopus. And the octopus is very brave and inquisitive and it becomes familiar with him, starts to trust him. And he, over the course of a year, because octopus only live for about a year, he um, keeps going back regularly, sometimes once a day. And he sort of has this bond with it. And just the, the connection of interacting with another species it pulled him out of his depression and it gave him a new perspective on life the majority of it is underwater and you're seeing him interacting where he took a GoPro with him and he is playing with this little creature because octopus are so intelligent could they do the leave insert? they couldn't do the leave insert, but then neither could I oh (laughs) well no one's saying that you're intelligent (laughs) 
I'm very intelligent. <laughs> I'm My mum says I'm very intelligent. I'm like the smartest by yeah. own. I, you know what? I have seen clips from this film. I was aware of it and I, I just haven't uh, gotten around to watching it. I have now added it to my watch list and it is on Netflix. So I am definitely going to give that a go. It's a lovely, sweet, sincere little documentary. And of course, because of that, and because so many people started recommending it, you'll get all the sort of the sneering fucking buys going like, oh, the, the fellow should have get a life. It's a fucking octopus. And blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> fuck those people. Daddy, chill. It's a very good documentary and I hope you enjoy it. I will watch it. That is for sure. And it's lovely. Actually, it, that, it's such an unusual thing. It's like, as you say, as you're saying, it's, he, he's in an alien environment, which is under the sea. And he's talking to a creature, one of the, one of the creatures on this planet, which looks the more, most alien and creates, a, uh, establishes a bond. It's like, it is like enemy mine or like going out into space and actually developing a relationship with an alien creature, which is uh, really cool. Really, really cool. You mentioned there, it's like an alien world under the water. And you know what? Underwater scenes can be so good that they can actually be the best scene in certain films. And one of them was certainly the best scene in Alien 4, Alien Resurrection. Did you ever see that film? Oh, yeah. I did. I saw it in the cinema and I cringed through many beats, particularly the final act. But uh, that underwater scene sticks in my head as being probably the best scene in it. It's very, very good. That was a scene where I remember watching on video and thinking... Could I hold my breath along with the rest of them? And of course, yeah. they're they're bullshitting in that because they're underwater for about six minutes. And I was like, I'm no Margot Robbie. I can't do that. <laughs> to be honest, if that entire film was the underwater sequence, I would have liked it more. So, yeah. But it's very impressive. And to see the behind the scenes footage of how they done it. And it sounds hellish for actors to shoot stuff underwater because... There's certain shit gets in the water and it's constantly dumped with chlorine but also paint flecks and, and, and things like that and so they always get eye infections and yeah it seems and awful. I read that Winona Ryder almost drowned when she was a child so it was in show she was not comfortable under the water whatsoever which I would totally understand and Ron Perlman almost died I believe that he was there was an accident where he couldn't get to his scuba safety diver or whatever in time and he blacked out or something but the results do speak for themselves because there are some images in that sequence which do stick in my head like I think Ron Perlman shoots a weapon or shoots some sort of gun underwater and the yeah and even seeing the alien moving through the water was an original was one of the more unique things about that film the CG is more forgiving when it's underwater. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's supposed to be weightless. Yeah, but it's also, you can add in that blur effect so you're not seeing how shiny and, and sort of um, artificial it looks. But yeah, uh, do you know what? I've had two genuine experiences where I thought I'm going to die. I've had a few sort of like close calls, but they weren't experiences where I thought, oh, I'm going to die here. One was when I told you that I was one of the people that made it out of the King's Cross underground fire by missing it by about 15 minutes. And then, of course, when we got home, it was like fucking, it was like pandemonium. I was like a small kid. I'd just come from Madame Tussauds. But the two experiences where I thought, oh, I'm I'm likely going to not make it here, were both in Australia and they both involved water. And uh, water can be fucking lethal. One was where I was swimming across Lake Fraser. I had been drinking as, you know, you do as a backpacker 
and I had just had something to eat. And I thought, me and a couple of others, let's swim from this side over to that side because it looks a lot closer than it is when you're looking at a lake. And I remember being about 40 minutes, 40 full fucking minutes into the swim, halfway across, fully fucking exhausted. And because it was a freshwater lake, there's no buoyancy to it. So as soon as I stopped swimming, I would just sink like a stone. Oh, Kevin. And, um, and I was on my back for some of it and I was going in circles. And I remember thinking, I have no strength to keep going to, because I couldn't go back at that stage. So I had to keep going. And I, there was a good like 10 minutes of that swim where I thought, I'm going to drown. I'm not going to make it because I was like constantly going under the water. Oh, Kevin. And uh, it was fucking terrifying. Got to the other side, legs shaking. I remember when I got to the point where I could actually stand in the water. And I thought that is one of the stupidest things I've ever done. And of course, everybody else knew it as well. Like all the other backpackers were like, they look like they're in trouble. There's nothing they could do. None of them could swim out to me. There was no lifeguards there. So it was just a case of like, I hope he makes it across. In that scenario, I know my reaction if I was with you in that scenario. I would be fucking furious with you. I would just, I know I would lose it. I know I would fucking lose it because it is, that was such a stupid thing to do past Kevin. It was a drunk decision, wasn't it? No, no, I was sober, but I'd been drinking the night before. So, you know, when you're like, you're getting up the next day and we've been camping and shit. So, um, you know, we're we're skinny fucking backpackers living off of like sausages and uh, beer and... Uh, I, you know, I'm not one of these people. I get very bored on beaches. I can't just lie there. I can't sunbathe. I get so bored. I give me five minutes sunbathing, and I'm bored out of my mind. Oh, I can't. The sunbathing is just, is just honest to God. I don't know what who can sunbathe. Um, I have to be doing something. I'm sorry. I have to be. I'll get up. I'll walk over there. Yeah. Let me, let me look. Can I investigate? Can I look at crabs? Can I go do something? I just don't want to just lie here. <laughs> I, I like if we're chatting, it's fine. The other one was I was on the east coast, and. The lifeguards were there at this point, you know, beautiful beaches. You're going to really get in the water up until about, uh, I think it's once you go past Brisbane, they say, just stay out of the water because it's fucking dangerous. You've got those jellyfish and, and sharks and whatever. And I can't remember what beach it was. It wasn't Surfers Paradise, but it, was, it wasn't Byron Bay. It was somewhere up along that way. The lifeguards had told everybody not to go into the water because the waves were like 12 feet and they're crashing down. But everybody was was going into the water. So I went in. And of course, it's fine once you dive under the wave and you get out and you're sort of swimming around and enjoying that. But then trying to get out of the water and the waves are coming every 15 seconds. And uh, I couldn't swim fast enough to, to get yeah. you know ahead of the waves. And I got picked up by a wave, lifted 12 feet into the air and smashed off the sand uh, beneath me. Jesus. Like, it properly felt like I'd jumped off of a roof and, and shoulder rammed the floor. Just wind knocked out of me, upside down, spinning, picked up again, slammed down again, oh, picked up again, slammed down. And I was only about like 10 feet from the shore. Yeah. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't orientate myself and get to the, to, to um, level ground fast enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought I'm fucked here. Like this is, this is what happens. Because, I don't know, time moves so slowly when you're underwater. But I managed to make it out. I was fucking bruised and cut up. I'd scraped on my shoulder and stuff. And then when we got back that evening, there was 
I think there was two girls had drowned further up that oh, beach. Jesus Christ. So, yeah. The last time I was underwater. So there you go. The last time I, I'm going to tell you about the first time I was in the water and the last time I was in the water. All right. We'll talk about films as well. Don't worry. Yeah. So the last time I was in the water was in, was in Malibu, actually. Malibu, and baby. And were talking about those crashing waves. But you know the way you can tell with a beach if the sand, if it dips down really quickly, as in even the beach itself is kind of, has, has got a steep incline. That's a pretty good sign there's a riptide there. There's a pretty good sign that, you know, you should maybe not be very, very careful in that. So myself and the lads went out and they were like mad to go into the water. I says, oh, you know what? I need to have a plunge in the old Pacific just to say I've done it. And I went out there and I like that. You you were saying 10 feet. Uh, I only went in a few feet. The boys went out further and I only went in a few feet, a few feet and the waves were coming down like, like it, it felt like a ton of water just being dumped on you. And I was struggling to... Because it is. Yeah, I was struggling to keep on my feet because then the the undercurrent was just pulling my legs out from underneath me. And I was going, this is not fucking safe. And I actually twinged my back. I was actually injured from a wave hitting me for like, you know, I had to take medication for about a week afterwards because it was like something twinged when it happened. That's me. I'm like going, no. The first time I was in the water was, you're talking about when your school days, uh, you know, how it took you, you had a swimming pool and um, we didn't have that. Kevin, we had a river, okay? The parochial hall bats. It was like we had to walk up to the, to the swimming pool. It wasn't like in the school. We had a river, okay? So I'm just going to just reframe that. We didn't have a swimming pool. We had a river, okay? And I remember- What, your school had a river? No, there was a river through the, through the town. And I remember there was some sort of like learning to swim lessons for children during the summertime. And my mother signed me up and I was like, I don't want to go. And she was like, no, it'll be great. And so me and a bunch of other kids showed up at the river and there was some instructor in the river. And there was a, like these steps that went down to it, like a very small, like couple of steps that went into the fucking river and um, freezing. Yeah. And I, and it was all rocks. It was all grimy and sloppy and rocks under feet and stuff like that. Oh yeah. And I, the, yeah, the, all the algae on the rocks. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus. And I, um, it's like stepping on a glugger. You, they had said, oh, come wearing shoes because like, you know, it's not that comfortable. So I went wearing my, I, I must have been growing out of heels. No, I got, I got these Spider-Man <laughs> shoes. I remember like previous, the previous year, I love these fucking Spider-Man shoes. Absolutely adored them. And I remember we were in the river and there was a bar. Like plimsolls had, or like trainers or what? Oh, like, yeah, whatever. Runners or whatever they were back in the day. Like they were like Spider-Man. They had Spider-Man, like, you know, the imagery, the red and blue. And and I remember I was holding onto a bar and they were getting... To match your underwear. Absolutely. They were getting us to kick. And I remember kicking, 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 kicking. And all of a sudden someone said, who owns that shoe? And I turned around and I saw that one little red soul just drifting off down the river. And I went, Spidey! Spidey! And then I was, and then I, <laughs> a moment later then I saw the other one popping up and drifting off down the fucking river. And I swear to God, I just went, that's me in the water. John, John, it was cold. My first introduction to water was a horrible experience. It was like going into a cold, horrible river, losing your favorite shoes. And just being forced to do it. I just hate it. I absolutely hated it. So, um... Do you know that human beings can't feel wetness? Uh, I don't understand We that. can feel a temperature change because of... We don't... We, we don't sense 
wetness. That if we're underwater, I was underwater, like, going, we don't sense wetness. Well, well, I'm just going to say, not from personal experience, but I hear that when you piss yourself, you fucking notice it. Maybe you notice the temperature change. Maybe you notice that's the, the wet clothes. That's the wet clothes, but you don't <laughs> notice. If you're underwater, you can't feel wet. So, oh, yeah. That's, okay. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fun, it? I've given you so many. Sorry, I've taken you off on tangents. We haven't been, we've only spoken about one underwater scene, probably, or two underwater scenes so far. Well, we talked about sharks and one of the iconic scenes that involves a shark, a real shark, and movies is a film that I know that you haven't seen. But it's called, it's got a few different names, but it's from Fulci and it's zombie flesh eaters. And that's a story that's set in the Caribbean where there are zombies. And there's a very famous sequence of a zombie underwater fighting a shark. Oh my God. Picture that. I've never even if seen If you picture it, you'll, you probably remember that. Really? Okay. So it's, it's, Famous with a lot of people who are into films, unlike Will. What's it called? That's zombie zombie <laughs> flesh eaters. Flesh eaters. It's also called Zombie 2 or Zombie. No. But yeah, it's Fulci. The funny thing about that sequence is that Fulci was unaware that it was being shot and he didn't approve of it. And it's like the most famous scene in the film. But yeah, it's got great music, that film, as a lot of those sort of... Um, Italian uh, horrors they, they've got sort of like a disco-y synthy like vibe to them but yeah see I'm not into that I, I, you know I think there's a certain uh, category of genre lover and I think the, the the people who love the horror genre are really into the horror genre and know, go deep and dive dive deep into the, all the things and there's things you have to know about the horror genre and for me it's not my it's not my genre so I don't I've never heard I've never I've never even heard of that filmmaker you've never heard of Fulci no never have you know, those things are more entertainingly camp and gaudy and uh, Italian. Right. Okay. Right. I know. I'd be very curious. If you can I- imagine, like, Eurovision from the 70s, it's like a movie that is adapting that kind of vibe. No, honestly, I'm open to. Praising all- Colin Cusagusibo. Oh, yeah. That's great. That is great. No, I'm open to all new, you know, educate about all new things. So I would love to do some sort of. Um, program where we do that can i give you one that's not a big dramatic well no not a big kind of like spectacle that it's a long sequence but i have one that kind of hit me at the time and when i rewatched it it still kind of had, had its effect on me and it's from a spielberg film not the one not jaws jaws not jaws it's actually a little a small little underwater scene that's in ai which i think is actually oh, really yeah. effective. It's the one that's in the swimming pool where David, who is oh, I thought by- you were going to say the the very very end when he's the pod is like under the ocean. Yeah, that's that's Meryl that, Streep. That swims up to him and what I like. No, well, that's spectacle <coughs> and all that. What I we see the, the scene I'm picking is the one that plays to my anxieties about being underwater, and it's the scene by the swimming pool in the first act where David, who is a little AI robot is um, at, the, at the pool with other families and other real kids. And his mother is off in the distance kind of chatting. It's kind of like that anxiety of a parent as well, kind of like you want to keep one eye on a kid, one eye on your, like, you know, kind of relax as well. But 
the other kids, one, there's one kid who's a kind of a bit of a bully, not total bully, realizes he's a robot and is like picks up a knife and says, oh, you know, do you have DOS, like a defense system? And David's going, what do you mean? And, um, I don't know. And he says, oh, yeah, it's like. Oh, it's, I remember the scene though. Yeah, it's when he, he says, oh, DOS is like, so you know, cruel. when they when they know they're, they, they have a kind of a self-defense system where they know if they're going to get hurt, they'll know. They, they, they'll know to pull back and just wonder do you have it so he's like going to stab David with a knife uh, Haley Joel Osment and Haley Joel Osment is just terrified so what he does is he clings to his kind of his stepbrother or his little surrogate brother does he have DOS? DOS what? DOS is good <laughs> damage avoidance system DOS it's a pain alert system our serving man has it it's so they don't go picking up fire with their bare hands watch watch this now, I'm not going to cut you. This isn't going to hurt. I'm not going to cut your skin. Just tell me when you feel it. Can you save Martin? Can you save Let me go! Can you save Martin? Let me go! Mom! 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 Henry! Clings to him and says, "Please help me, help me, help me!" And he he backs back, and the two of them, like back so far, they drop into the pool. And David is just clinging onto his stepbrother as he plunges to the bottom of the pool. And um, the, all the parents have to jump in and pull him, extract him, like physically unclench his arms from around his stepbrother as he desperately clings onto him for safety. I found that it, it hit it hit my anxiety buttons with regard to being underwater and being trapped and held down underwater. And it also is a pivotal moment in his story because it's the it's the make or break event, which makes him... Where they, they decide they to decide, get rid of him. Yeah, he, it's not safe to have him around. And uh, it's it's so sad yeah. because he was only doing it. He, he wasn't doing it in any way. And there was no sense of cruelty on his part or meanness. It was just... I need to revisit that film. I've not seen it since it came out. I think it's time for a, a revisit, a proper full re- revisit of that film. Now that there's enough 20 years have passed plus. So it's time just to reassess it and have a look again. It's probably something that will play very differently for me. Yeah. I'm going to give you some other ones here. I'm going to focus on swimming pools for a little bit. Perfect segue. Yeah. Because I don't want us to do submarines. No. Because I think if you're encased in something and you're walking around you're breathing air that doesn't really fit the brief for me it's like the actor has to get wet submerged in water even though these days they don't really do it anymore like that whole Aquaman film it was all shot dry for wet yeah so they would CG in the hair to be floating ethereally around them but for the most part they were just on sound stages although to give Cameron his credit he didn't do that with Avatar even though the whole film is like digitally rendered yeah that was the only film that I've seen that brought me back to what it was like scuba diving off the Great Barrier Reef. Your experiences, your positive experiences scuba diving really helped you with that film. Yeah, like in that film, I fucking loved that he made a whale an action character and he gave that character a storyline. I know some people were rolling their eyes and going like, oh my God, he's 
not only jumped the shark, he's jumped the whale here. Mm. But I loved it. I thought that was such a commendable thing and no other filmmaker would do that and, and treat it seriously. They would make it a piss take, some sort of like goofy thing, like an Aquaman, like octopuses playing the drums or whatever. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Swimming pool ones. Yes. The Graduate. Oh, yes. Yeah. That taps into my feeling of being underwater, away from everybody, feeling that peaceful disconnect where you're almost dreaming and not wanting to come up to deal with your problems. So I related to that. And describe that one. Is That's the one where he's he just drops to the bottom of the swimming pool. Underwater. Yeah. No, I know. I know it's underwater, but like, what? (laughs) What's happening around around that scene? Nothing really happens. You know, it's him diving on... There's a lot of sort of like images that will come to mind when you think of underwater scenes, but I can't pinpoint the films because they've been used so much. So you were talking about bullets earlier on, but it's like, you know, in Bond or something, underwater, the bullets just buzzing through the water. Yeah. Or being underwater and seeing legs kicking in the different bathing suits and stuff, mm-hmm. and you're swimming between legs or whatever. But in that, he's just underwater. He's looking up at the distorted faces and... It's just, um, it's a moment of reflection for the character, mm-hmm. but not, there's not really any plot point to it. Yeah. It's just cool. Yeah. It's a space. He's, 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 he's leaving the, the normal world and going under, going under. What other pool related scenes do you have? Well, then you've got the comedic version of that in old school when Will Ferrell oh. tranquilizes himself. <laughs> oh God, I haven't thought, I haven't thought of that in ages. Oh my God. Go on. Yeah, he tranquilizes himself and he falls into the pool at this kid's party yeah. and the same music is playing and, and it's sort of a riff on that, but it's, yeah. it's very funny. Very good. What kind of gun is this? That's a tranquilizer gun. If any of these little fuckers decide to freak out on the kids, I get to take them down. <laughs> Ain't that right, mother? <laughs> oh, what? That's what I thought. Shut up. <laughs> hey, hey, be careful with that. From a... Ow! Yes! That's awesome! What? You just took one in the jugular, man! You should pull that out. That shit is not cool. Wait. Wait. Pull one out. The dart, man. Got a fucking dart in your neck. You're crazy. You're crazy, man. You're crazy. I like you. But you're crazy. I feel tired. No! And then, of course, probably the best one of these that I can think of is from Let the Right One In. Oh, and well, that's a fantastic pick. Yeah, absolutely. Is it primarily shot from under the water, isn't it? That whole, you're with the kids. The boy's being held underwater. I still don't understand the physics of it. He's being pushed under the water by the bullies. Mm-hmm. So you've got the hand holding him down. And then in the background, somebody's feet falling into the water, being pulled along. You see blood falling into the water and then the arm of... So you know that something chaotic is happening on the surface, yeah. but you're left to interpret it based on the brief glimpses of things breaching the water. And uh, and then the arm sort of slowly falls Force, yeah. past him where it's been severed. Yeah. And he comes up and his bullies have been demolished by that vampiric boy-girl creature, we'll say. And you're absolutely right. The only thing that throws that moment 
is when you start thinking about the logic of what's happening with the person who's holding him down. But it is so impressive. You know, as you talked about the fear of what's happening under the surface, this is the fear of what's happening above the surface. And it's far more affecting that we don't see it, that we're with his point of view throughout that. And uh, yeah, that's an excellent, excellent choice. There's a very, very brief sequence in True Lies that sort of evokes that as well, where Annie dives under the water yeah. and he's shot the biggest flamethrower to ever exist in cinema history. And it sort of set the surface of the, the water on fire and he's swimming under it and having to get past the point where the sea is burning. And uh, it's a cool shot. And I remember when they, they, they shot that, he was in a pool and of course they were actually, the water was actually on fire above him. Yeah. So um, yeah, you reminded me of that. That image popped into my head earlier on when we were chatting about stuff that actually had that one. It was like, that's a fantastic image. Absolutely fantastic. You know what is actually a genuinely scary one? And you've just reminded me. In Damien 2. I haven't seen Damien 2 since my black and white days. I love that film. Yeah. Damien 2 is, is fucking brilliant. And it sort of ups the ante in terms of the final destination. Like, yeah. death seems to happen. Also, Final Destination has a brilliant one in a swimming pool where somebody gets sucked into the drain. Oh, God. I've seen, ass. I think I've seen all those Final Destination films. I just, I don't remember that one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think their ass gets suctioned onto the bottom of the pool and it pulls their insides up from through their bum hole. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> but in Damien 2, they're ice skating on a frozen lake. And as happens in those films, they're almost like unlucky accidents. Yeah. So you can't really pinpoint it on Damien. Damien's like 13 at this stage. The ice gives way on the one of the guys who's playing, plunges under it. And he is being pulled along with the current under the ice shelf and William Holden and everybody else is like running along the ice and trying to break it as this guy is being sucked away off into the abyss. God damn it. Every time we talk, I am always adding stuff to my watch list because you've just made me want to watch that again. And I've only ever seen it in black and white, but it's very much in my head. I'm going to, I'm, I'm putting that in my watch list. It's going to be one of those ones. I'm going to dredge back up again. You know what? You were reminding me of because you were talking about that image of someone being under the ice. There was one from the most recent Bond movie, No Time to Die, uh, where someone's under the ice. There's also one from Skyfall at the very, very end where Daniel Craig, there's a, he's, you know, at the Eva Skyfall Mendes. ranch. No, Eva Green. The, oh yeah, well that's the first one, Casino sorry, Royale. Casino Royale. That's, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Casino Royale is a big pivotal moment where she's, trapped underwater there's the one from skyfall where he's under the ice so that that popped into my head but there's a whole load of underwater action scenes and fight scenes in the bond films yeah there's a lovely moment in is it born supremacy Second the one. opening scene when maria gets shot in the head yes and she he kisses her goodbye and he, he sort of pushes her away and she floats off in this disgusting green sewage filled river But it's it's a very evocative image, sort of. It's a it's a peaceful way to say goodbye to a character. Also, they shouldn't have killed off that character. She was so fucking brilliant in the first film that to fridge her in the second one, um, I'll never be on board with it. Yeah. What always amazes me is not just the act that you know they're they're filming a scene underwater, but that these actors have to give a performance 
underwater. And I'm just thinking of that specific shot with Matt Damon kissing her goodbye and the anguish he has to uh, perform through his face in, in his performance. It really comes across very, very genuine. And I'm, But I'm also thinking about the whole, God, you're underwater and how difficult is that to do underwater? I don't know. Do you ever see those, those uh, well, uh, maybe you haven't, but in Disneyland, they will have actresses or performers dressed up as mermaids. And if the kids come along, they're looking into a fish tank and the mermaid is swimming around and she's, you know, performing as Ariel or whatever. But they will, you know, and they're going up every so often, maybe every three or four minutes to, to take a gulp of air and go back down again. But they're having to keep their eyes open underwater. Gosh. And that is hard to do. Even though nowadays they'll have contacts in and stuff to sort of give some protective barrier. But anytime I see people underwater with their eyes open, I know that that's incredibly uncomfortable and you can't see shit. You can't see anything. So it's really just done for the appearance of them looking at you, but they can't see anything. Oh God. Oh yeah. More reasons to not be under the water. That's all the swimming pool ones really, to be honest. But there was one I forgot to mention at the start of the episode. Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954. I've not seen this. You'll recognise the iconography of it because... There are shots, well, the opening of Jaws, you know, where Chrissy's swimming across the uh, surface and you're seeing the silhouette of her. There are shots in the original Creature from the Black Lagoon that are very similar. So you can feel like Spielberg probably referenced that as something. We need to get that kind of a shot. So you have this woman who's swimming in the daylight in the lagoon and the creature from the Black Lagoon is down in the bottom. He's in a full suit in the reeds and he swims up. And he is basically swimming alongside her and he is, you know, mirroring her. And it's almost like the way a dolphin would play with somebody. Mm-hmm. And he is reaching out to almost touch her and she doesn't know that it's beneath her. It's just a push and pull, almost a dance of him wanting to snatch her or touch her or engage with her. But it's about a three or four minute sequence and um, it's beautiful and really impressive. But yeah, it's what bring up. Oh, I'm going to watch. I actually think. Because it's a guy in a full prosthetic suit, guys holding his breath and swimming around, wearing a full mask and stuff. I actually think I actually have that on Blu ray. I just, there's a bunch of, got it as a box set, and I was one of those ones that I have yet to watch. You know what I find? You can't not bring up the big, big battle that happens underwater in Thunderball, which was, I know, a, oh, yeah. a huge undertaking. And I think, I can't remember the name of the unit who actually went off and did it, but like it was something that was planned extensively. It was a massive operation. It took, it was a huge amount of money to actually make because there were so many players involved and all these different, different underwater devices, which are very exciting still to watch to see all these little kind of like underwater water motors. It's so expensive. Like the minute that you try and do anything underwater, even if it's like on the surface of the water, your insurance and all the liabilities that are coming to play, it just ramps up the budget massively. Yeah. So. That got me thinking about, I was talking about like how impressive it is to see actors give performances underwater. And then I was thinking about, well, Jesus, acting's one thing. It's just, you know, ex- you know, expression with your body and face. Physically fighting underwater. Uh, it's unfathomable, unfathomable, unfathomable. I can't unfathomable. 
It's unfathomable. I can't pronounce it. It's unfathomable. Okay. It's what was it you were saying? Skippy, Skippy. It's difficult for me to imagine. Revenge is a dish best served cold. It is unfathomable. There you go. This is me and my 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 tongue. My tongue doesn't allow me to say certain. Unfathomable. It's very difficult for me. Stop. Stop <laughs> lipping your licks then. And I just did it. Stop lipping your licks. Stop licking your lips. <laughs> it's very <laughs> difficult for me to imagine how they go about executing. Not even. Do you just, think we have brain damage? Not just. Well, when did I did, you get what, knocked out as a kid. You keep. I'm trying to let me get. Let me get this. Out. This stuff people like. People no, love it no. when I interrupt. Oh, they love it. It's <laughs> fight scenes underwater, Kevin. I find those very, very impressive. So yeah off the back of Thunderball but then there was one in Police Story 4 with Jackie Chan right and I saw this sequence where it's in I've not seen this I don't think it's fucking cool it's this one that you can just easily just look up on YouTube it's it says in an aquarium and Jackie is pushed into a big tank with sharks in a really huge huge tank the fight scene happens all underwater it involves sharks, it involves props, but you know the way in Jackie Chan's movies, he always brings comedy and physical astounding feats into his uh, performance. He's like a circus performer. He does all that stuff underwater. Like, you're laughing at some of the choreography and the way he takes the punches. And, you know, it's just, I can't describe it. I can't describe it well enough. You really just have to see it. It's like a Looney Tunes sequence. Yeah, there is that. But he's doing it underwater. Like they're doing they're throwing they're throwing punches and kicks and blocks and all that sort of stuff underwater. But then getting in, like gags where he gets hit in the head or he's dodging something. And they use they use the you know the environment in inventive ways there as well. So I'm saying that is that was a delight to watch. A real delight to watch. There's another fight underwater that I thought was good from a film that I thought I would never, ever bring up on the show. And it's the climax of Lethal Weapon 4, the fight between Mel Gibson and Jet Li. Oh, is that the dock where they fall into the water? Murtaugh impales him with, with rebar, then rigs. It's like, it's so, now when I look at it, it's so horrific. It's like swinging them around like a kebab, you know? And the, the two of them, the actual dock collapses underneath them. The two of them plunge into the water. I felt the anxiety of them being in the water in that one as well, where he ends up blowing them away with an AK-47. That little moment in the film that's not very good actually was kind of uh, impressive, it will say that. But the best fight scene underwater, without a doubt, and up to this point, up to yesterday, would have been my best pick, is the fight scene in Top Secret, the underwater fight scene. When you're talking about Jackie Chan, that's what I'm picturing. That's a brilliant spoof sequence. Oh, it's fucking amazing. It's like an old-timey western yeah. underwater. Yeah, and it gets more and more elaborate. Like, you know, first of all, they're down there and just, like, throwing punches. And then a bar appears behind them where there's there's a saloon owner and he's, like, cleaning the counter and checking the glasses. 
there's guys uh, he breaks a bottle off someone's head yeah oh yeah smash there's you cut away and there's uh, four cowboys playing poker at a table and when the fighting starts going they duck they they all drop and duck underneath the table but their hats are still floating in the water (laughs) there's even like even as he's leaving as Val Kimmer is leaving he turns around and there's a dame like leaning up against the counter up against the counter and blows him a kiss and says hey boy you know all this sort of stuff and they all give amazing performances funny comedic performances but then the actual physical sight gags it's just mind-boggling to me how they pulled it off I, I'm looking at it going how the fuck did you actually do it oh he he punches him through a window and he ends up being pulled the bad guy ends up getting like you know being fired through a window and Val Kilmer's performance in that he's still charismatic even underwater he still gets this, the same swagger as you would, uh, as as you would imagine, he would do with the same scene if it was on dry land. So, just very, very, very impressive. It's way up there for me. Top, top scene. It's not my favorite pick, but it's close to the top of my best picks for this topic. Thank you. So, at the start of the episode, we talked about sharks and me swimming with sharks. There's two brilliant shark sequences that we have to mention. One would have been my pick, but I use Jaws for like best SFX scene. And for that reason, I'm not going to mention the cage scene in Jaws. But of course, that is fucking phenomenal. And one of the standout sequences in Spielberg's masterpiece. Yeah. We don't really have to explain it. You all know what that's like. Richard Dreyfuss goes into the water. He tells Weishauder, I've no spit. And uh, Weishauder does that really disgusting thing of taking his spectacles and putting the ear hook into his mouth. Yeah. And I always go like, ugh, Jesus Christ, yeah. that can't be sanitary. No. He goes in and the shark makes shit of the cage and he just about barely makes out. So many jump scares. It's incredible to see how they pulled it off. They went back and shot so much of it in Verna Fields swimming pool. Oh, okay. To get insert shots. Mm. You can see it online, I think, how they did that. But... A brilliant sequence. But the other one I want to mention is from a a smaller film that came out a few years back called 47 Meters Down. Where these two girls... mentioned, go on. They go into a... I think they're in a cage at the beginning of the film. Right. It breaks off. They sink to the bottom and they need to get from the bottom to the top. But the water is riddled with sharks and it is pitch dark. Right. And uh, they're barely in communication with the surface. And it's one of those sort of like single location, intense films, a survival story. But there's a moment in it where they brave it, or at least one of them does, because I think the other one is injured. So Mandy Moore starts her ascent. And when you're 47 meters down, you can't, and they tell you this when you're scuba diving as well, you can't rapidly descent. You have to, you have to slowly make your way up so that your body can adjust Mm -hmm. to the change in pressure and the oxygen in your blood and all that kind of stuff so she has to sort of hold her position at certain points as she's going up can't see anything you know that there are big 20 foot sharks and there is a jump scare in it which legitimately scared the bejesus out of me where she lights up the flare and in the darkness it's like the scene in Alien you know where Tom Skerritt turns around with the flamethrower and yeah. you just see the alien go like surprise yeah I think it's like three or four great whites facing her with their moats agape and that 
is pure nightmare fuel. So I thought I'd mention that. I don't know. I put it on my watch list. And then as you described, I went, I don't know if I'm going to watch that. I don't know. I've got, I, I, I've won. At least watch that sequence. I've won to mention it's on a lot of lists. And I said, oh, I'm going to give it a mention, but it's definitely not my main pick. It's an impressive sequence and a very entertaining series of films, which we both enjoy. It's the underwater scene from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I don't love it. Tom Cruise nearly killed himself to do it. Yes. I am so impressed that Tom Cruise held... He Again, he's one of those actors he held his breath for six minutes to do a lot of these shots because... Only six minutes. It was... But it, I would have thought he would have gone for like 20. Yeah, I think it was, it was over six minutes. But as they were describing, because I watched them making of, the making of for this stuff, like in the most recent one, Dead Reckoning Part, part 1, the making of these sequences is sometimes far more impressive than the actual finished sequence itself and unfortunately I think with the de- with the Rogue Nation underwater scenes where Ethan Hunt has to go into s- at this reactor which is underwater and swap out a card for another card uh, reasons but the problem is is I think the finished film the shooting it is more impressive than the film version exactly yeah. because there's so many CG elements and also they're cutting away so it almost cut cuts away from the tension of you holding your breath whereas which you knew when you mm-hmm. watched them behind the scenes you can see he has to go underwater hold his breath for a minute to get into position while all the cameras get set up and ready to go so he's holding his breath he also then has to wait for the bubbles to clear so we've got a couple of minutes pass and then he has to do a single take which go for another couple of minutes and then he has until they say cut then the safety divers come in and can give him oxygen and that is so when you see them do at that and you see him holding his breath for that length of time for to, to create one of these shots it it gives me gives me the anxiety where I'm going oh god get out of there it's don't it's not worth this I don't need to see it underwater do someplace else it's fine but it's so fucking impressive it really really is that was like the helo jump in one of those films I can't remember they, they all feel interchangeable at this stage from the third one onwards but the helo jump, which he actually did, I think they did like 20 different jumps to, to get the the sequence on camera. And then when you see it, it's so heavily slathered in CG that yeah. it's like, why bother? You could have just had him in one of those wind tunnels of just faking it because it, it would look as believable as what they did. Yeah. So you're you, seeing you the can CG. shoot yourself in the foot by trying to add too much artifice on top of something that was incredibly impressive naturally exactly but you know despite that it still is a very impressive sequence and an amazing feat by him to actually pull off he's doing he's doing he's really exerting himself in those moments as well he's not just floating around the place and stuff like that he's pulling and dragging and you know getting whacked around the place that's a really good one nailed it I was talking previously about Tom Cruise holding his breath for a long, 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 long time. And my best pick would have been the fight scene from Top Secret until yesterday where I watched a documentary which came out last year, which I should have watched last year, but only got to, the, only got to yesterday. It's a, a documentary which has an, made by an Irish filmmaker and actually features an Irish main protagonist. And it's called The Deepest Breath. <sighs> Freediving is one of the world's deadliest extreme sports. It's very simple. The deepest dive wins. 
You've got to swim the length of a 70-story skyscraper. Freediving is an extreme sport, and extreme sports have extreme consequences. I've not heard of this. Oh, Kevin. Oh, my God. You have to watch this. Okay, so The Deepest Breath is a documentary made by Irish filmmaker Laura McGann, and it is a story of two main characters. One is an Italian freediving champion called Alicia Zecchini. I'm Alessia Zecchini and I'm from Italy. Even when she was young, Alessia had some supernatural power with freediving. She wanted to become the deepest woman in the world. And like you were describing, someone who was drawn to the sea from when she was tiny and wanted to spend her life under the water, just swimming amongst the fishes, then she got competitive and she learned of this thing called free diving, which is a, a you know, oh, yeah. it's where you go, you see how long you can go basically on Horrible. One, one single breath back and forth. And it's a real, That would freak me out. Yeah. It's a proper, proper sport. It's, I didn't realize it was such a huge sport actually. And so there's world tournaments and stuff like that happen all over the place. But the other character in it is actually an Irish man called Stephen Keenan. And his story is really affecting as well because the film creates a portrait of both of these individuals from childhood up. And he was a guy who grew up near the water and he was like his dad is saying, he was always drawn to the water and he was always asking about what's this thing over here, what's that thing? And he was mad to get into water as well. But even as he was becoming a young man, he was like you backpacking and he was always searching for something. He never kind of found his place in the world. He like... <laughs> Is that me? No, but no, no, not like you, but like what I'm saying, he had this impulse where he wanted to go to the Congo to meet gorillas. And he went and did this incredible adventure out to actually sit with wild silverbacks and all this sort of stuff. Just traveled all over the world, but felt like he was a a soul that never found peace and his place in the world. And he was just about to kind of, he spent years traveling and he was just about to kind of give up and come back and get a proper job and settle down where he stopped in this place in Egypt called Dahab. And it's a little seaside resort where they they do free diving. And it's a place that's just off the beach. It's a vast cave that's a couple of hundred meters deep. And there's, I think, maybe 50 or 60 meters down, there's a an archway which you can swim through, which is about 50 meters, and you can come out the other side. And only a handful of free divers have ever actually successfully completed the arch and come out the other side. Like people have died doing this. He he gets a passion for free diving from it. And he becomes the world's best safety diver for these competitions. This dude is uh, the guy who has saved multiple, multiple lives at these competitions. And all I'm saying is, I think you should watch this film. I'm not going to spoil okay, anything Okay, well, don't about tell it. me too much, so... I want to describe one shot, and you're talking about your kind of favourite underwater scene. And my this won't spoil anything, but my... The scene I'm going to just want to highlight here is the opening shot and it's watching a freediver going down and we start with them on the surface and they start descending. They start going down a rope. They have no, they obviously take a deep breath at the top and they just go down by a rope, down, down, down through the light aqua blue all the way down into as the blue gets deeper and deeper in past the reef and they descend into full on darkness, full on complete darkness and you can just leave a torch in there. That sounds haunting. But I want to tell you, when they reach the bottom, they start coming back up. And as they're coming back up, you see them exerting, 
pulling themselves back up this rope and you can see just getting lighter and lighter and lighter again. But then like meters, we're talking two meters, they just stop. And then the free, the safety divers are in. Oh, because they've got to equalize and... Well, they don't stop. No, no, they don't have to equalize. This is the thing. You don't have to equalize in this because you're, it's on one breath. They've what, lost, they, they've they... gone. They, the person's gone. They're, they're, they're out. They're dead. They're dead. So they, they black out. They're dead. You're real. You're so they're dead. this is the opening shot of the film. The safety diver comes in and grabs them and pulls them up to the surface. And the shot, this is all one camera shot. And you see the person's face. That the expression on their face, the lifeless eyes, is horrifying. Absolutely yeah. horrifying. There's that famous picture, isn't there, of that free dive? Maybe it's from that that free diver who is at the surface, and is it an embolism they have? There's something that goes on, but he is. He took one gasp of breath, and then his eyes roll back, and he just looks glassy and and pallid, and you can just tell you're looking at somebody who's. Dying. Their brain is shut Horrible. off. The brain is shut off. It's got like, you yeah. know, they're on, they're, they, but anyway, I'm just they saying this, that switch. This is one of these, it, it's still, it's a, it's a life affirming story. I want to say that about this particular documentary. It's a life affirming story to passionate people who found their passion in life and they just drank up every drop of life while they have it. But to do it, they're putting their lives under, every time they go down, they're putting their lives on, on the line. Steve had this massive reputation as the best safety diver ever. If a diver wants to feel secure, they're very happy diving with someone that they're familiar with. He believed in Alessia, and so he started training with her. Alessia and Steve, they had a very special connection. Hey, hello. It was just a really good match. <laughs> Some amazing lady just going to win the World Championships. Alessia was after the world record, so she was going to push your limits. She wanted to be better than the best freediver ever. When you push close to a limit, a lot can go wrong. Yeah, I just found that to be really powerful and deeply unsettling. So that's my pick, The Deepest Breath. So my pick is from... In 1984, director James Cameron thrilled audiences with his vision of the future, The Terminator. In 1986, he created the science fiction masterpiece, Aliens. This summer, he will take you into a world no man has ever seen before. The Abyss. When I was going through all my picks, I immediately came upon this one and I couldn't be dissuaded by everything else because it's a film where the filmmakers went through absolute hell to pull it off and the cast no longer speak to the director. The Abyss. Believe your eyes. You will never see Ed Harris or Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio talk about this film because they had such a falling out with James Cameron that they refused to speak about it. It is, in my eyes, Cameron's most personal film because it includes everything that he has proven himself to be incredibly passionate about. The sea, special effects, the military, science, the environment. And it's hung on a marriage in trouble 
and he has a fantastic strong female lead in it again with Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio's character the sequence is the moment where after a battle with Michael Bean's character who's gotten the bends and he's gone slightly crazy their submersible is damaged and there's no way to get both of them back to the deep core that they need to swim to so the only decision they have is for her to drone and for him to drag her lifeless body from the submersible back to the rig and then try and revive her and uh, it's the themes of the story sort of coalescing at that point it's a fantastic sequence we got to get you out of here how i don't know how all right we've only got one suit I know, I know, but we've got to come oh up with something. Oh, my God, I'm breathing. <laughs> You're smart. Think of something. Can't you think okay. of something? Think of something. Okay, why don't you swing back to the rig and bring back another suit? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here, you put this on. No, no, what are you going to do? Don't, don't argue with me, God damn it. Just no, put it on. Look, this is not an option, so just forget about Lindsay, it, all right? shut up. No. Shut up. Put this thing on. Be logical. For one Stop second, logic. please. Listen. Just listen to me for one second. Now, you've got the suit on, and you're a much better swimmer than I am, right? Yeah, maybe. Right? Just yes. The... So I've got a plan. What's the plan? I drown, and you tow me back to the rig. No. No. Yes, this water. No. Only a couple of degrees above freezing. I go into deep hypothermia. My blood will go like ice water. Right? My body systems will slow down. They won't stop. Lens. You tow me back, and I can, I can be revived after... Maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Lynn, put this on. Minutes. You put no, it on. It's the only way. You just put this on. Put this on. You know I'm right. Please. It's the only way you've got all the stuff on the rig to do this. Put this on. But please. This is insane. Oh my God. I know. Okay. It's the only way. Here, hold this. Just hold on. You can do this, you know. You can do this. Oh, God, Liz. I know. Don't you, little... She drones. They kiss. He drags her back. They had to shoot that for real. It wasn't done dry for wet. It wasn't CGI. They was were in that massive tank. Yeah. Was it a reactor core or something like that? Was it some fucking nuclear reactor core they shot it in or something? I can't remember. It was crazy. Yes. One that had been shut down and was no longer used. Yeah. And that sequence where he's trying to revive her and he's beating on her chest was the moment where Mary Elizabeth Master Antonius walked off set and said, we're not animals. And uh, she reached her limit. But by God, they went through hell to make it. But the film itself, for me... As someone who grew up on Studio Fair, it's just heaven. And it's such a terrific yarn. It holds up so well. It feels timeless because it's so sort of separate from anything that could date it. You know, they're down in a rig. Rigs don't change that much. The characters in wetsuits, they don't change that much. The themes of it are universal. Uh, it feels a little quaint in that it's so sincere and it has a lot of... Um, the sort of the, the Cameron-isms that you'd expect, that sort of blue-collar badass dialogue. The film wrapped up just under three hours, and I swear I could have watched another three hours of it. It's such a, a brilliant film, and that sequence for me utilises... Well, the whole film utilises everything about being underwater, um, but that sequence alone, I think, is spectacular. So that's my pick. No! 
and a brilliant pick it is too. It would have been my pick, you know, un- uh, only that I was pretty certain it was going to be on your list somewhere. I love that sequence. It's so, it really gets you. You feel, you feel her drowning, and you feel the, the panic that they feel on the on the dry dock to try and bring her back to life. It's something else if you watch the behind the scenes of it which is a brilliant documentary because they don't really pull any punches they sort of you know let you know that it was pure hell um she is being pulled along and they're so far down that they have to have safety divers all around that have to do what we were talking about swim straight up to her and stuff the regulator into her mouth and um have her take a breath and then back to one and do it again then back to one and do it again but yeah it's a phenomenal film uh, and uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and revisit it. You won't be disappointed. Mm. So, Will, this was a fantastic topic when we got it recommended to us. I thought, yeah, that's interesting. There's something we can do with that. But then when I was really sitting down to think about it, I thought, this is a fucking fantastic topic, and I've loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you, Jules. Yep. And if you want to recommend a topic to us, you can do by going to bestbitspodcast.com forward slash contact and drop us your suggestions mm-hmm. but we got a couple in so far and one of them I want to read out now for you because I oh. think now might be the right time to do it okay tell me what it is rather than spinning the wheel yeah and uh, we're going to get to those Patreon episodes that were recommended for us pretty soon but because we're coming up on March oh lordy so this comes into us from so I think his name is Michal it's M-I-C-H-A-F-A-D-E-L that's Michal isn't it that's Michal yeah that's Michal but then Michal Martin is M-I-C-H-E-F-A-D-A-L my and that's also Michal my uh, my buddy's kid is Michal and he's, he's that's how he pronounces it he's spelled the same way as you just spelled it out to me there so that's Michal so both of them are Michal yep hmm. Okay, so this is from Michal. He says, Hello, lads. Love the podcast. Ye asked for some recommendations, so here's one for you. Best Irish scene. I'd love to hear your oh. thoughts on films from home. Surely Cork legend Michael Collins will get a mention, or maybe one of your own films. Keep up the good work here. Gas crack from Michael. Michal. Thanks, Michael. Oh, lordy. <laughs> Michal also sent in a picture and I have to say I give him 3 out of 10 no I'm joking <laughs> it's another 8.5 out of 10 we've got some gorgeous looking listeners oh this is Handsome this man. is a topic which we've thought about in the past avoided said, no we won't do it but you know what I think if we do it just from a point of view of you know not from films from people we know but from the stuff that have maybe influenced us and stuff that we um, inspired us I think maybe that's a better approach you don't want to stick the knife and you don't want to like go after anybody you know why would I if we're the best bits <laughs> why would we go and do best why would we go best shits I know uh, but you know it's the person with the mic who's in charge we can finally we can finally put right to wrong or put wrongs right or whatever the fuck we I, can finally like get the boot in yeah no we there's been so many great Irish films yeah we've we've been avoidant of this for specific reasons that I think we could annoy a lot of people that we know or it might be a very popular topic because people yeah. might listen to it in order to see if we do you know but, friend, but I, <laughs> I would be friends, anybody. friends friends would be like why didn't you pick my film why didn't you pick my film so my my way of approaching the topic is 
I'm going to go with the things that the films that inspired me coming up through the ranks for my kids. But Irish films made me feel. But there's proud. also there's also great films that are quite recent. So I'm not just going to go that route because I am. Um, He's finally going to watch Wolf Walkers. He's finally going to watch Wolf But that's a British film. Oh my! They're all English in that. God! Oh my God! <laughs> Oh lordy lord! There you go. All the bad. It's one guys. of my favorite English animated films. <laughs> Sean Bean isn't bad. <laughs> He's kind of bad. Go on, <laughs> right? So, if you want to hear more from us, we're also on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. We're putting out extra episodes every month. It's at least one a month, sometimes two a month. The good crack. You'll hear a clip from the latest one at the end of this episode. Also, please rate and review us if you haven't done so already. It helps with engagement for the podcast, which then sort of helps others who might be listening to something else see us get recommended to them as something that they may like based on you liking us. So please do that if you are a fan of the podcast. And thank you for listening. For sure. Will, it was great to chat as usual. Yeah. And thank you, Hall, for that recommendation. I enjoyed the topic and I am looking forward to our, our next conversation about best Irish films. See ya. Song of all. Very good. All right. Bye. Catch you next time. Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a Patreon member where you'll receive bonus shows where we talk about recent releases and what we're up to. And you'll receive access to our Discord chat room where we hang out with our listeners. Search the Best Bits Podcast on Patreon or click on the link in the show notes. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits for Will and Kevin. No, the best bits for Kevin and Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe 3 euro. <laughs> you okay. can't remember what. <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits for Kevin and Willem. Talking deviantly. Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it. That'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened to it. I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, yeah. of course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho psycho. That's exactly what you did, Judah. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro.
I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God, I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kev Van Willem, about the telly and the latest film. Come and the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, <laughs> I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm raring to go. I saw Madam Webb. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster oh, very recently. It went, "There's a Madam Web film," and I'm, "What is this?" So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. We feel like yes, there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue, to the hairstyles, to the costumes, to the sets, to the music, to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction... You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic Okay, on the whole. It's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them. Yet, I found The Flash really fun because it, was, it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times. It was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects. Whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was 
uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just play that out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but... Dave almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> oh, I had to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Caddy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Caddy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but you That's know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I like Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. Thank you.